0: What's up, everybody? Ryan back again with another episode of the ATX Metal Podcast. And in this episode, Josh and Jared snagged Moontooth. That's right. They got Moontooth. What they talked about was best laid plans playing and not playing shows, how their writing and recording process has differed across releases, and while working with different producers such as Weird Al, and they also touch on some secrets. So I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to let you guys get straight to the episode, Uh, but before we get there, shout out to Come and Take It Productions and Come and Take It Live, our sponsors. If you want to see what shows are upcoming, just head to comeandtakeitproductions.com or comeandtakeitlive.com. Check on the calendar and the Eventbrite page and just scroll around and see what you can find and what you want to come to. But if I'm going to be a little greedy, I would love for everyone to come out to the December 3rd showcase that we are putting on, the ATX Metal Podcast Showcase, December 3rd, $15 tickets before you should buy them from the band because the band gets a little cut from that. So you are directly supporting Locals. But if you can't get a ticket before the show, it's $20 day of December 3rd. It's a Friday. It's kind of like the end of year bash. And we're also grateful that the local hometown heroes, uh, Fire from the Gods, are going to headline. It's going to be an amazing show. But again, this just, I, I can't I can't believe that we actually pulled this one off and got this show going. So I'm very grateful to, uh, to everybody involved. And if you can come support, then come support. But Aside from that, here's Moontooth.
1: If you saw the Thank y'all for being with us. Um, of course, the big deal, I think, for our, our podcast, but it's also a big deal for me personally because I'm a really big fan. Yay! Um, uh, but, thanks, man. um I just thanks wanted you. to make sure, and from the outset, just give you a, a huge thank you. Um, so I, I guess we can just dive right in. I, I kind of wanted to start because. Um, I'm really curious as to what you all have been up to since all the COVID stuff really began. Have you had the opportunity to play shows or have you found yourself being just more or less generally creative in or outside the band? How's it been going? I mean, we did both. Um, well, not since March, 2020, but
2: we got um, an acoustic EP done in that time frame. Um, constantly writing music. I mean, Nick pumps out more songs than any person that I could ever even imagine. (laughs) Maybe Frank Zappa's got you on like a couple of songs, but yeah, Nick's been super busy. I've been like writing stuff myself, but we uh, did an acoustic EP and um, which had two covers on it and one new song. And the rest of the songs off that EP were from our last album, Crux. And we've, been writing songs throughout that entire period, and our last few shows were uh, very recent. the Music Hall and Connecticut and Revere, and it's it's that was amazing to play shows. But so that's like the long story short. <laughs> Nick's gonna get a whole bunch more information there.
3: We can't talk too much specifics just yet. Very soon we'll be able to, but we we've been working on a new record, and that's you know the finishing touches have been put on that. And so soon we'll have new, new, you know, not acoustic music out finally, but um, we've been working really hard on that, on that record. But uh, yeah, we did sneak in three shows. We kind of like got the optimistic, Hey, like everybody's vaccinated. This is going to be fine. And we booked three shows. And then the little Delta variant was sneaking up right behind us on that. And then shit got weird again, but luckily like we got the three shows in, you know, Long Island, Connecticut, and Boston. And then uh, nobody, that's sick as far as I know at those shows and they were really fun, but now we're kind of just back into the planning stages. And when we get this new record, we uh, we have some shows we're going to announce very soon uh, before the end of the year. And then we have a big tour for next year that we can't talk about just yet, but it seems like uh, pending every plan now is like pending. No terrible disasters, but pending, no terrible disasters. Well, next year will be a big year for, for the band and we can hopefully get back into Swing of things with some new music and some and a bigger tour. That's awesome. Um yeah.
1: So I'm sure that you probably can't talk about it, but you since you said that you can't really give too many details, but um the new stuff that you're working on, are you planning on doing that with um machine? Are you planning on doing that at Westfall? Like, do you have any any idea or are you already in the process of doing it somewhere?
3: Uh it's it's done. Uh, A a good chunk of it was uh, most of it was done at Westfall. I can't talk about uh, who else we worked with just yet, but um, I can say it wasn't machine, but uh, most of it was done at Ray's studio at Westfall. Uh, Most of the core tracking was done there, but we did, we did work with, with a a fifth party again. We'll come back on once the, once all this announced and we'll talk about (laughs) it for real. So I don't want to be cryptic about it, but yeah, I think, I think people will be stoked on, on who, on who we involved, but but yeah, I mean, like we've like always been pretty DIY, um, and we slowly kind of dip our, our toes into working with new people. And this was, you know, a little bit further than than in the past. But we still end up doing most of it, you know, at Ray Studio at Westfall Recording Company.
1: Cool. That's, yeah, big bigger. I was gonna say that's uh, lots of respect because you guys have done all of your releasing, um, you know, independently. How have you have you been happy with that? Because I mean, you've done five releases thus far.
3: Well, kind of the, the, the last one we basically put out with modern static at first, which our, our friends, Tom and Travis basically started a label. They were, they wanted to do it anyway, but more or less it kind of was kickstarted by wanting to put out crux. And then after that had happened a few months later, um, pure noise records picked us up. So they re-released it. So, you know, they, the technically crux is out on pure noise now, but this new one, will be the first like real release on a a label. Like the first time really kind of like getting that experience, like, you know, from the beginning, you know, from the inception of the record to the rollout to the release is going to be on a label for the first time, you know? So it will, we'll, we'll let you know. (laughs) No, but we're, we're, we're really stoked on it. Like pure noise has been really cool. You know, they have a lot of bands, but they've still taken time to like write us personally and tell us how stoked they are on the record. And, I think that they really, um, we're, we don't sound like a lot of bands on that label, but I think that they are stoked on that too. Like the same way we are, you know, like we kind of, we're doing something a little different than a lot of the bands on that label. And I think that, I don't know, I think that like we, we're, we're going to fit together in this, this sort of symbiotic way, you know, Agreed. We yeah. have our own little niche, you know,
1: I'm sure it was very intentional for them, you know, just as much as it was for you guys, you know, picking you with your. All of your unique qualities, you know, because you guys are an extremely unique band. Um, I Thank think you. that's part of what makes you so. <laughs> I want to find another adjective other than <laughs> unique, cool, but, but I was just say unique. But like, you know, there's you're very unique and like very appealing in my eyes because of all the disparate elements that y'all bring together and make these awesome cohesive pieces. That's. So. I mean, yeah, that's great for me. That's that's all
2: I feel like we've been trying to do is just write music that we actually want to hear that hasn't been done in the exact way that we're doing it. You know, we have our influences, which we'll wear on our sleeves, but just trying to put it all together in, you know, a way that not a lot of people have done, but also just do our own thing. That's kind of how we started, I guess, to go back to ground zero, but that's just the way we wanted to do things. Just be original and hopefully people like it and not rip people off too much.
3: <laughs> yeah we can write like a thrash song or sludgy song or bluegrass influence song and you know it's all works nobody ever goes whoa, whoa, whoa we can't do that you know that never really happens and that's kind of cool about pure noise too because they have like knock loose but then they have uh you know i can't swim or they have like uh before you strong Or yeah like they have like there's some stuff that's super catchy and poppy and there's some really brutal stuff and we have our own little kind of universe and between all those genres you know um because we love brutal music, but like I don't know. You know, there's stuff on the new record where I, I feel like I can like I listen to the riff and be like, oh, this reminds me of like that like George Harrison kind of riff. You know, like that's like we're kind of not afraid to touch on all those influences and stuff. You know. And then it's kind of like the listener's problem. <laughs> it's like whether they can deal with all <laughs> no, those like things that at the same at the same time. I don't know. That's we'll see if people will enjoy it or not. You know, it's but uh there's definitely Something for everybody there, you know. No, I agree. Um, we're we're in that place stage where like the we the four of us have been listening to this record for so long, you know. And we're like so ready for other it to be someone else's problem, you know. <laughs> like I like cannot wait for other people to like because like as soon as as soon as we go okay, like this day it's coming out or this song's coming out, it like it's scary, but it's also like a huge relief because it's like I can't just like, we can't God. tinker with it anymore. We can't like worry about. How is the hi hat like a little too sizzly right here? I don't know. You know, you can't like tinker anymore. You just have to like let it be, you know, let it be done. Like let it, let it give it away, you know, like let other people own it finally.
2: Yeah, that's the best part. Yeah. A lot of times, in my opinion, and I think what Nick was just saying, like as soon as it's done, I mean, like we kind of at this point, we've submitted the record, it's done. But as soon as you get that physical copy or it's like, it's on Spotify or Apple Music or, everything. That's when you, I feel like you have the final relief. It's like, it's out of our hands. It's up to people to take a shit on it or love it, carry it on to their children, bring it to them, whatever they want to do with the music. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's the best part. And then as soon as that happens, uh, we'll be on the road. We'll be doing, doing cool shit.
3: Yeah. Then life gets simple again. Then it's, then it's not tinkering behind the scenes anymore. Then it's just like, pound the pavement, play shows, sell right. the record, you know, then life gets kind of simple. I mean, you yeah. know, as simple as it can be in, in doing this, but you know, it, it's, it's not so much in here. It's like, you're out in the world again. And so I think, especially after pandemic and everything, we're very ready to be out in the world again. You know, it's been a lot of, a lot of zooming. Zooming with each other, zoom with clients, zooming, you know, and we're appreciative of it, of the, of the ability to do it. But, you know, we definitely love playing shows and playing live and, and communicating that way, you know, that's been a big, uh, big hole, you know, in the whole process. It's like, so like, even like getting to play those three shows we played in August was great, but it almost felt like harder to like, (laughs) to like stop again, you know, we're almost there. And, and and honestly, like all things considered, like, you know, I'm grateful that for the level of work, we were able to keep up between the acoustic EP, getting the record done. It wasn't easy and file sharing and all that stuff. Like we, we, we kind of didn't let it slow us down too much and at least crux had been out for a year and we didn't get totally slammed you know in the middle of a record cycle i mean we did but we at least got a couple good tours in and stuff so could have been worse definitely could have been could've been worse
4: i kind of want to shift gears a little bit i am just so perplexed by the just different styles of music that you guys blend together like that was the thing when i first heard crux when it came out that's what like drew me. And I was like, I, these guys are great. Who would you say would be like some of the biggest influences in you guys, like music, your musical careers as a whole?
3: Our, our Venn diagram is kind of weird. Like we don't overlap that much. I mean, me and Ray probably overlap the most because we we started playing together when we were like 13, you know, we're like 31, 32 now. So, it, you know, we, we kind of cut our teeth in a lot of the same stuff. Um, and those would be the obvious ones, you know, Zeppelin, Sabbath, Metallica, you know, Pantera, Slayer, and then uh, also like Allman Brothers. I mean, or, you know, Black Crows. DC, Stevie Ray Vaughn. Yeah, Black Crows. I mean, and then, you know, we kind of grew up together. Oh, are we getting into like the Beatles, getting to like BB King, getting into, you know, everything imaginable, really? I mean, Mastodon was obviously a big one. I don't know. We got into like, we had our little phases of like Cannibal Corpse and then like Cryptopsy and then. Uh, Weed Eater and COC and Down and uh, Crowbar and things like that. Uh, so we kind of like did a lot of those things at the same time, sort of like branched off at, at a certain point. But like, you know, those are all the things that we were jamming. I mean, Lamb of God was another one we were jamming all the time. Uh, whereas like John, when I met John, he was playing drums in Rice Cultivation Society, which was a band that I had joined and like the heaviest thing he was into was like tool. Uh, I and mean, he was really into like, he was into like Coheed and, and stuff like that. And, you know, we really kind of dragged him through all the crazier metal shit, you know. And he was in it really op- embraced it with open arms. Like first time we played with like King Parrot, John was like, <laughs> it's just like, like I'm going in the pit he like didn't, immediately. Yeah. Like he did he didn't He's not go kicking and screaming.
2: He was all about it. That's for yeah. sure.
3: He definitely embraced it, and then Vinny was Vinny. Definitely, like more. He liked a lot of hardcore and, and pop punk, and I don't know. He he liked a little bit more of like the modern death metal stuff, like um, Acacia Strain and Despised Icon, stuff By like art. that. I art, yeah, like things things that we were kind of like. We were more into like older, old school shit. You know, he was. You know, we, I learned more more new school bands from Vinny. I guess it makes me sound very old. He's only a year younger than me. Um, uh, For my son. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, then John, John obviously brought in a lot of the more uh, soul and stuff like Otis Redding and um, stuff that we love too, though, you know, like, the, but stuff that like me and Ray don't necessarily know how to put, like we love to listen to, but don't necessarily know how to put into the band. Like John knows how to put that into the band with like his, his vocal style and, and the way he, the way he sings, the way he writes, you know, his,
2: That's a perfect way to put it. That's for sure. It's, I mean, like we had, we had all these bands that we listened to that, I mean, Nick just described every fucking band that we grew up on, but, because we loved, you know, the Skip James, Muddy Waters, Otis, like all these old blues singers. But like when, I feel like when I got behind a drum set or picked up a guitar, all the shit that, you know, Nick does the same thing. He's writing on guitar. It's just, it's whatever feels right. But John, you know, he found a way to, just express himself and do cool shit as a blues singer, as a modern blues singer and still like touch upon all the parts of the music that make perfect sense for like, have you know, singing over heavy riff. Like it's been awesome.
3: Yeah. Like Ray, Ray wrote the riffs in like Igneous, which is like literally it's like taken from an Allman Brothers open C major tuning. Yeah. So it's very much like a Southern influenced bluesy influenced thing, but it's not like we would know how to, how to approach that vocally in, in the same sort of way. So like John, you know, just made all the sense in the world to sort of bring that, that same approach to, to the vocals and the melodies and and in a way that's like organic, you know, it's, he's not trying, trying to sound that way. That's just like how he writes. Yeah. That's
2: he just, to me, he is a blues singer and he's like Mm -hmm. trying to mash together, you know, a lot of different styles from the shit that he loves to like, he loves Coheed and, You know, we like Coheed as well. And so he's like in between all these different styles, but he's still just doing his own thing. Like Nick will come up with a guitar riff and it's super heavy and out there. And it's just like, he's always got like, you know, super hard octave pedals and all this crazy shit. And then John is just, it sounds like he's doing his own thing, but it always matches to the music perfectly. So it's just this weird like Venn diagram, like Nick said, of the different styles that we have. And there's some push and pulls to either direction, but I feel like we get there in a really cool way. Hopefully you'll find
3: out. Yeah, it's grown a lot. You could kind of hear that on Crux and it's grown, you know, where we kind of know how to write together more now.
4: The thing that I, I really appreciate um, specifically about uh, about a bunch of the tracks on Crux is you can go from like having that real low, slow, heavy, chugging riff and then, on a song like like on Trust," there's that wacky blues guitar solo in the middle of it that's just kind of out of nowhere after you know, nice, heavy chugging riff. Uh, and it's just it blends together so well. and And I feel like John's vocals, it just it's almost polarizing how like the different style of his vocals are compared to having like this real deep, heavy chugging riff with his vocals. And I think that's just what makes you guys so different from the rest of the stuff that's out there. That's awesome.
3: Yeah. Polarizing has always been the, the word. I think, um, it's, it's definitely, I think people, you know, I, for me, it's like, there's bands that when the first time I heard them, I go, like, eh, I don't, I don't know about that. That's confusing. I don't know if I like that, but those are always the bands that I keep coming back to. Like, like there's something about it, like the way, way it kind of put me off that I want to keep coming back to it. And so that I guess is what I, I hope that, that some people, when they're confused by it, that they'll, they'll be intrigued and come back. But I mean, for me and, and Ray, like we, we had another band uh, and that fell apart. And then we started Moontooth and like, we always like liked writing extreme crazy metal ish riffs, but like never really wanted to only have somebody scream over it. You know, it always, it always seemed too one dimensional, you know, I, and I love bands like that only scream. It's not like I have anything against that, but it was just like, melody is too, exciting and fun to to play with to have like no melody in, in the vocals you know perfectly said but but John like really you know John came to us and was like I'm I'm the singer like I like, I don't mean to make that sound co- like too cocky <laughs> or whatever but like I'm the guy like he, he basically said it like that And we were like and I had heard him sing and things that weren't heavy and I was like I knew he, he had, we, we both knew he had an amazing voice and so we've just been kind of on this path of like you know figuring it out together, you know, like how to make it fit together, like a puzzle piece, you know? So I don't, I know now it's become pretty, pretty organic, you know, it's, it's sort of like me or Ray will send riffs, you know, to the, to the band and John kind of will just, you know, I know something's got a future if he's literally got a vocal melody back in like an hour <laughs> you know, or, or that day, by the end of the day, if he doesn't text me back, Like if he texts me back and says, oh yeah, it sounds cool. I know it's like, he's not going to (laughs) work on it. But if he doesn't text me back at all, I know he's working on it. Like, and he's always got something. So we, we found a way to kind of, to really be very productive in the sense of writing. And so, yes, but yeah, I mean, I, I I appreciate guys like, you know, like, like you that uh, have an open mind to, to things that are, uh, you know, maybe a little different than you've heard them before. You know, like, if you heard a weird kind of chuggy riff and expect a certain type of vocal, some people don't want to hear a different type of vocal you know so we appreciate that you guys some people give it a chance yeah
1: some people he's <laughs> <use> john <laughs> it's also that see i I think that it's perfect like i've, I've been hooked ever since uh i first caught freaks on freaks? spotify it was a really? spotify wow. suggestion and um like i like i just let it play because the cover caught my eye and i was like this is interesting and i let it roll and i was like what <laughs> it's one of those things where you know you feel like You know, you open the box and the light comes out and you're like, "Uh," you know, Um, I was definitely very overwhelmed um, when I first caught that. And it's funny because, you know, then Chroma Paragon came out and I didn't know how to process that at Mm -hmm. first because, you know, I just had those four songs at first and I would just play them over and over and over again. It didn't take me very long to understand um, where y'all were going at that point, but it did catch me off guard at first. But that's one of the things that I think that makes y'all such a strong um, and complementary group is that you do have these disparate influences and it, that enables you to like creatively complement each other and see things that you can do, crea- see the creative possibilities that aren't apparent to most other people situation. And I feel in each, you know, the more time you spend together and the more releases that you put out, um, the more cohesively y'all are able to do that. Not to say that any of the early stuff is not cohesive because it's rad. It's super rad. Um, <laughs> what was the first 2 song that you heard? It was the very first one on Freaks. Like I just seriously got a, a, a yeah. Spotify suggestion. It was like, hey, do you want to check this out? And I was like, let's go. And <laughs> like from the get-go, awesome. I was like, this is rad AF. Like, I'm, I'm, sign me up.
3: But it's it's, it's it's interesting that you had that one first and then Chrome Paragon put you off. Cause I mean, like I, I, teach, not, not, not put you off, but like, was like take a second to get used to or whatever. Cause I feel like that's true for all bands. You know, you, you find something and it like it hits you hard. And then the next one, you know, it's, it's rare that it hits you in the exact same way. Cause you, you kind of have an expectation all of a sudden. And um, cause like, I, I have um, like, I teach guitar. And and so when I get students who are, you know, like random, you know, throughout the country, I've never met before often, how they say they heard of Moontooth and or found me or whatever is Spotify. And so, and I'll hear something similar. Like I was really into that Chroma Paragon record. And then Crux was like different, but I love it too, you know, but like it's, and then, you know, I, I'm sure people who got into us on Crux will hear the new one and, and it'll be a little jarring at first, you know, but I, I think that that's important. You know, I think that you can't, if you can't just like redo the, the last record, but I, I, I do recognize that. Cause I'm like that with bands too, you know, like it's, you kind of like, the first thing you love, you kind of almost like kind of want to like keep it to yourself, you know, and it's like a little different. It's like actually hard to deal with, but
2: it's always love for me. I mean, that sounds weird, but it's always like what you get into musically is always it depends on how old you got into it, or even if it's your first time listening to a band, if you're 25, 30, 18, that and the styles of music you got into when you were a kid, So there's always like a degree of love for music, which was really hard to like break even myself personally. Like, I mean, I got into the same shit that Nick talked about and you know, it was my first two records that I bought on CD were Rain and Blood, South of Heaven and Toxicity. Like I went and got those at Tower Records. My mom drove me when I was 12. I think that was, yeah, 2001. And So like that style of music is just ingrained in my brain, but yeah, for a lot of people, like it's, it's hard to break through that. And so like, I feel like as sometimes as a 32 year old guy, it's hard to like have some, some, like some style of music, or some different album, like make me love it. You know, it's uh love works the same way. Yeah, it's like,
3: like unfair. Perfection. It's like, how is something going to knock you um, in your ass? Like, like rain and blood does when you're fucking 12, you know, like there's no, yeah. there's not much chance for yeah, that. There's
2: there's no fucking way that's ever going to. Yeah. Even my own record. I'd be like, that's probably not going to hit me the same way when I was 12, but yeah. <laughs> maybe the new 12 year old.
1: That, that makes me think of a uh, interesting question. i to ask Nick and, he, and you too, Jared. But, um, what does the first thing or couple things that you remember purchasing for yourself musically?
3: Uh, the first thing I remember buying was, um, justice for all. Excellent. Cause I was like, Excellent. Uh, I think I, I don't know. I was in elementary school and like, I had a hand me down tapes and I had like ACDC and Aerosmith and Van Halen. And I had Metallica. And then that was like the thing I was obsessed with. So when I got to go, I think it was Sam Goody or the whiz, one of yeah. those places like in the mall, <laughs> And then it was like, I picked it out. I guess I don't even I have fucking money. I guess I had some kind of uh, allowance or something. I picked out Injustice for All. So that's the th- first thing I remember buying. What about you, Jared? I,
4: like, I had my dad's CDs growing up as a kid. So, like, I had all those, that, you know, that I was exposed to as a kid. You know, early Metallica and Zeppelin and stuff like that. But the f- the first CD I ever purchased with my own money was Weird Al Yankovic's Straight Outta Linwood. Yeah!
3: yeah.
2: No. <laughs> all right, so all right, I'll, ways, I'll let you do but we're right gonna there. fucking talk about Weird Al in five seconds. It was, continue.
4: It was it was at the FYE in the Eastwood Mall in Niles, Ohio. I remember buying that album like right when it came out, and that was the first city I ever bought with my own money. Um, and as luck would have it, the first like real concert I ever went to was Weird Al Yankovic.
2: Fuck. I mean, well. That's if you sick. have more to say, I'm sorry to cut you off, but... I, I don't. Like, <laughs> I had um, There was
4: others, but I don't count them.
2: I have my first favorite two bands were Zeppelin. Well, Zeppelin in general, but my dad had a CD box set that I used to fucking take CDs and I bought this shitty-ass cassette player from CVS, and I used to make the CDs cassette, like just burn them to cassette, burn them. <laughs> it's not the proper term, but... I used to do that so I could have this fucking like shitty boombox so I could listen to Zeppelin and then I had Alpalooza. Palooza. I had fucking like most of every single Weird Al tape cassette tapes. I just like walk around and were whatever the fuck I was doing when I was ten years old, hanging out with real cool kids. But yeah, I was fucking blasting Weird Al at all times. I went my family went through Amish country with Weird Al blasting fucking. Amish Paradise. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah, just <laughs> blasting that, and we got some dirty looks, but it's all good. But that, yeah, that was that was my first two favorite bands, Zeppelin and Weird Al. You saw, you saw Weird Al live too, right? Six times, it? I think. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Including the most recent was like four years ago, I think. He played at the Paramount on Long
4: Island. But yeah. I saw him I saw him on the Apocalypse tour. Ah, so sick. was it like 2012, I think.
2: The one that I missed was when he was playing all original songs, not any covers. Oh, that was recently. but oh, I missed that. Yeah, that
4: fucked up. but um, he's my boy. To this, to this day, I still know every single word to Albuquerque. the entire 13-minute <laughs> song. Yeah I can recite that entire song without even any music playing at all. Challenge. <laughs>
1: And he will now do so without further ado.
4: I will not.
3: I, I was just gonna say you're gonna be. I, yeah, I Now yeah,
1: no, you I have a
2: feeling <laughs> in your confidence that you'll nail it more than I will. I can get kind of close. I mean, I was kind of close, like probably fucking eight years ago, maybe ten years ago. <laughs> When's that
4: come out? It was like uh, that was on Running with Scissors. That was 1999. Running
2: with Scissors. Ninety nine. I was gonna say ninety nine. And then yeah, that was the best album that
4: ever was created and i won't age myself and say how old i was when that album came out <laughs> I, was gonna, I was
1: about to say i feel like methuselah up in this <laughs> in this conversation right now right. but that's
2: okay i just wanted to monopolize weird Al conversation for a second but yeah that was like one of my first favorite artists granted most of them were covers but still
4: still like the original shit. The covers yeah. parodies yeah. Right? covers mm-hmm. parodies yeah i mean he Brilliant. he helped he exposed me to so much music I wouldn't have found without him like you know that's, growing up yeah. my, my dad was just classic rock my mom liked country music so it was like that's all I listened to as a kid was you know I, I remember listening to the Beatles anthology albums you know the three compilation albums yeah, yeah. of b-sides and stuff and then um, I have the Who's 30 years of classic R&B the the four CD box set. And like, that's what, that was on my regular rotation. Sound very much and, alike. And yeah, I don't, I just, I don't remember how I stumbled upon Weird Al, but it was just like an awakening. So you don't, you don't remember was, like the first, first time that, that I, yeah. I really don't. Um, I want to say it was like UHF was on TV and my dad was like, Oh, Hey, watch this. This is a funny movie. So
2: uh, how old <laughs> are you? You mind if I break that barrier, sir? I am 24 years old. Ah, 32. A lot more older than you. <laughs> we call him so the so we care. call him the
1: youth. The, youth, the youth, but he's yeah. also he's also a um a veritable library of knowledge. It doesn't matter so how old you are; it doesn't really fucking matter. But so you have the it's weird going. owl. talking about the Who and the
2: Beatles. Yeah, you have so that's the weird cool. owl youth, and however your parents raised you apparently did a good job. <laughs> Weird Alice first. Every other music is sense, garbage. Do I
1: sense besties now?
3: Like, Everything comes yeah, out I think, I think besties.
1: I think we're best friends now.
2: <laughs> pound. That was a virtual pound. Mm-hmm. You didn't
4: see it. Your fist bump. Yeah, Separated and we'll, we'll tell Taylor, Taylor, leave that in. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I had another question, but I totally forgot what it was. Josh, uh, I just fucked you up with that. You, you,
3: yeah so the weird out thing just like getting <laughs> us that weird out plug man you get that weird out to our rake and die Speaking happy. Speaking of plugs,
1: um, I did want to ask you guys like is there anything in particular, any sponsorships or any um, like equipment that you're digging using lately? Because we have a, quite a few musicians that tune in. Um, any any gear stuff that you want to I mean talk about that you're digging on lately? Yeah, I mean lately. Um,
2: so for me, I used to play. Vic Firth sticks, and um, I got turned on to Minol Stick and Brush. And they sent me because Minol, the cymbal company, is separate from Minol Stick and Brush. They make their own sticks and mallets and a whole bunch of uh, cajones. I actually use a Minol cajon on the acoustic EP, which was before I actually got endorsed by them just because it's what I had and it sounded great. But my whole thing with sticks is. As a touring musician, if I have six dozen or three dozen pair of sticks, depending on the tour, I, they usually end up just getting tossed in a cymbal case. And the sticks that I've been getting from Meinl have just been balanced across the board. Like they're all the same weight, even from stick to stick, which some other companies have been, like two sticks you buy in the store, they're very balanced, but... If you buy, you know, two bricks, three bricks of them, you'll get a light pair. You get a heavy pair. But that was immediately when Meinl sent me sticks. I literally just got all the sticks, like half a dozen sticks for like a test. I tossed them all in a pile, mixed them all up, grabbed two, grabbed two, grabbed two, and just made three pairs out of that bunch. And they were all super balanced. And I was done. (laughs) That was, that was it. That's all I really wanted, and the sticks play really fucking awesome, and I was hooked from five minutes after buying them. That's sick.
1: I like vinyl stuff. Yeah, I don't have a whole. Yeah, I really stand behind that. I it would. I really do. So I need. I need to know personally. Are you still using high watt stuff a lot, Nick?
3: Is... Yeah, man. I mean, I've actually been. I haven't really changed a whole lot. I've been with Vigier guitars for five four and a half years now, something like that. And then, uh, um, yeah, I, I've been with high I mean, not like with high but I've been using the same high for longer. <laughs> I've been, uh, I basically like, uh, was using Marshall's and, uh, it kept breaking on me and I had a JCM 2000. That's like kind of what I started Moontooth with. And then, uh, I needed to borrow a head for a show and, and my buddy Paul from this band, Black Blizzard, uh, from, from Frederick, Maryland's killer, two piece like doomy band. He just like, let me use his high And I just like, uh, I never used like a loud pedal platform like that, uh, where it was like just powerful, but clean. And, uh, it just worked so well with moon tooth. Like everything was so articulate. And it's, it's not really a very, um, popular amp, I guess, with what we do. It's like, you know, I feel like, uh, when you think, I mean, I what I would think high I would think Pete Townsend or David Gilmore, but I don't know. They just, I haven't found something that works quite as well for, for what I like to do. And I just like, it. it's like, just gives me this sort of freedom to do with pedals, whatever I want. And it still sounds powerful and killer. Um, I recently also invested in a Freyette, uh, power station Two, which is a, uh, all tube attenuator so that I can finally, uh, play the high watt where I want it, but lower it to like a manageable stage volume uh, kind of, I I still sometimes make it louder with the attenuator, (laughs) but uh, it's <laughs> like, if, I, if I have to though, like, more. it's like, well, it, you know, you think when you're younger, you think bigger the venue though, I crank it up, but it's actually the opposite. Like the bigger the stage, the more they want you controlled on, on stage so they can get you in the PA and you're not killing the mix. So I, uh, when we did the tour with animals as leaders, I kind of learned the hard the hard way a little bit that it was like, sound guys were like, Hey, can you come down? And I'd be like, no. And they'd be like, no what no like you need to come down and be like i can't really man like that's where it sounds good like i'm on tour with animals as leaders like let me play my amp or it sounds good and then after that i was like i need i need to get something and i had tried an, another one like attenuator and didn't like it but the fry out one is killer it's awesome if anybody that's listening doesn't know what that is it's basically a 900 volume knob but it's fucking yeah. volume knobs. it's like <laughs> um it's, it's exactly it's, it sounds it great I mean, we 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 use it in the studio uh, even like when we did guitars on the record you know cuz it just it adds this special kind of like juiciness it adds some juice yeah. to the to the sound that wasn't there before but uh yeah and then in the studio we we blend it with other things this time around we used a, a diesel uh VH4 which Ray Studio recently nice. acquired and that added like some pretty cool chunk to what we were doing uh it's in the studio it's always the high watt with some kind of modern high gain thing, but live, I, I have just gotten to, it's just the high watt with um, a Friedman B E O D. I just got the B E O D deluxe. So it's got two channels and I have another uh, overdrive, which is like a clone clone and then a volume pedal. So it's really just become about gain staging and just being a one guitar band, like how, how versatile can you make one head and having a powerful clean platform that you can just use a lot of, buttons <laughs> with your feet, you know, to to change like and mostly analog stuff. It's just like I, I have a hard time getting away from it. And when I when I talk to people about the modeling thing and stuff, it's like, man, that sounds really convenient. But when I when I play through them, I just don't get the same feeling. But we'll see. I don't know. That's it's a it's an amp from 1976. I feel like they're just doing stuff back then that was better. <laughs>
1: I, I get it, no, because like I, I, you know, I used to be in bands and stuff like that. Um, but like, as I've gotten older, I've decided I'm not playing out anymore. So I was like, oh, why don't I just go all in on on modeling and and whatever and sell all my amps off? But like, since I started listening to you guys and d- read some of the earlier interviews uh, with you talking about your high watt, I was like, man, I find myself really gassing for like for a high watt, and it's like I've never that's out of all the things that I have wanted, like, I've never been like, man, I really want a high watt, but now I'm just, I just really to, want a to high be, watt. To be
3: fair though. Like I, I, I only play it at rehearsal and at gigs, you know, like right. a, I've like at home now I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm using the neural DSP. I got the Gojira one and I'm, you know, that's fine. Like I, I can jam at home. I can demo and stuff with that. Right. And I have students who are like, what should I, what kind of half stack should I get? And I'm like, are you playing gigs? And they're like, no, not really. I'm like, do you have a, a house? Like, no, I'm in an apartment. I was like, dude, just just spend a hundred dollars on the, on the, on the neural thing. Cause it sounds sick. And then when you start playing in a band and you're on stage again, you know, cause cause we've like me and Ray, like are nuts with guitar sounds when we, when we do like, we, like we get a little crazy. Um, and it's almost frustrating at times how close that shit gets, but when, when I would miss it would probably be on stage, you know, like where I, I want something powerful behind me, but yeah, man, they're, they're, they're awesome. They're really cool. I mean, uh, I, 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 was lucky. My friend Joe, I used to live with, he found one on eBay that was just like kept in like a basement or some shit. And it was all rusty and needed to be retubed, recapped everything. So he got a killer price on it and like, let me like pay it off. And then I eventually got it all fixed up and I've been using that, you know, same amp since 2016 or whatever, 15, but you know, like they're expensive, you know, especially the old ones, you know, it's like yeah. pretty tough. The only thing that I've played that I've loved, like loved, loved that I would maybe sell a kidney for was, is like those Friedman's that be like the, the free and the 50 watt one, the, the Jerry Cantrell one is really sick. Those are, those are pretty nice. Awesome. That's like uh-huh. God sent Marshall Kind yeah. of situ, you know, British situation.
1: I've I've never had uh, direct in person exposure to the actual J Cantrell, but a friend of mine got the with the the junior mm-hmm. version. He's been trying to sell me pretty hard on that. Um, They're pretty killer. Like the twenty watt one or like the junior one? Yeah, I think so. I think it's like switchable though. Like I think you like, don't hold me to it, but I think you can like you vary the water. Yeah, that's that's the only like mini
2: Maybe. one that I uh, remember. Is like yeah, twenty watt. 15 maybe you could just like
1: swap it back and forth that shit sounds yeah. really good too but i mean pretty much everything that friedman does seems to be
3: yeah there's like a certain thing tier. that's kind of hard to put into words when you're standing in front of it you know it's right. like got it's got its own kind of mojo to it whereas like sometimes you know the modeling gets so close but maybe and maybe it's just in my head and i'm mean, going be esoteric as a person but no it's not in your head it's like, it's it's like there's just something it's about it that's standing in front of it is, is like a little different that being said I'm very grateful for the convenience of the, the neural thing because I'm sending yeah. demos now that uh, they sound good already. You know, and it's like, I didn't have to, I barely had to do anything, you know, and it's like, they sound sick, you know, and it's like, it used to be beforehand and be like, I'd be like, guys, all right. So just imagine this doesn't sound like <laughs> shit. That's like, <laughs> that's like the beginning of every new song. And now it's like, it sounds pretty, pretty dope. But, um, so
1: do you, do you find yourselves using, um, you know, I, I imagine with the way the technology is nowadays, do you find yourselves using a lot of these, like, time-saving tools? You know, like TuneTrack started way back in the day with Drumkit from Hell, yeah. and now obviously we've got, like, Superior Drummer 3 and GGD and all these other things. And, like, do you guys find yourselves using things like that to demo out material, or do you still prefer to, like, you know, record drum ideas or whatever for demos?
2: Yeah, I mean, we we definitely prefer to do it for real having um, a studio I
1: bet helps a lot with
2: that so. yes exactly it's i mean it's unfair for me to say because a lot of people don't have access to you know fifty thousand dollars worth of microphones preamps converters and everything that you would need to record a drum set like for real and like the time spent to mic it up correctly but yeah i mean when we're do, like across this last record when we're doing demos like we did demos a while back where, you know, we're at my studio and I'll just do real drum demos. And then we switched over to some MIDI drum demos just to like, basically, it's, it's a no bullshit version of what I can play. Which, you know, for me, I have the ability, but if anybody doesn't have the ability to record that, it's still a good, um, it's a good tool to try and get your drum ideas Outside of your body, you know even if even if you don't have that, it's a side note, the best idea is if you can buy one microphone and one interface, even if you only have one input to stick it in the back of the room and just listen to yourself play. I think that's the most valuable thing that you can do for yourself as a player, but that's a different story. But when we were doing drum demos, we started to switch to MIDI just so we can like I can hear my parts and just kind of analyze them a little bit more than I've done in the past, which is not something that I've always been familiar with. And I mean, I'm very familiar with it, but not for my own music, not for Moontooth. So it was a little frustrating at first because I have like an e-kit that I use every once in a while to do drum demos. So that, that definitely made its way, you know, into the next record. But the actual drums that I recorded have nothing to do with, you know, it's not like I'm using fake MIDI drums or whatever, but it was, it was a really good learning tool because if you're playing, if you're finessing on drums and you're trying to play ghost notes and you're trying to play, you know, very like minute details, it doesn't translate. Not, it doesn't translate that well at all. So like your whole patterns that you have to worry about, are just your kick pattern, your snare pattern and exactly what symbol you're playing. Because like, if you're playing a real drum set, you can kind of, finesse especially like a symbol if you're if you're going for a groove and you can move the symbol in a certain direction where it's it sounds like quarter notes or eighth notes or eighth note swing on quarter notes like you can do that but with an e-kit you cannot do that and it usually sounds like shit unless you're going to do like weeks of programming to make it sound real but
3: i've noticed that yeah yeah. That, that was like a generally like a new thing. We tried just to kind of streamline getting the big picture together as we were doing a lot of, uh, file sharing also through COVID. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I was doing a lot of like sending Ray raw DI guitars and stuff to kind of, to get it. in the past, we were more like in the room and, um, you know, I think that we, we miss that, you know, and I think that that's pretty much a plan for the future is to make sure that that's more, um, focused on, but at the same time, it's just like, it's, it's just, it's impractical. It's hard. You know, me and, me and John now live upstate New York and, uh, we still come back once a week, but it's like, you know, if we can, we need to do a little file sharing to, in order to like, it's just, it's just too convenient not to. What's funny though, is that I remember saying, to, cause I've gotten like a little better at my, you know, Ray's always been, the studio guy, since we were kids, like, since we've met each other, he had like the mini disc and like, was like recording practices and yeah, stuff. Yeah. And so like, he was like, and then he had the workstation, you know, the 16 track and then the 32 track or whatever. And then finally pro tools and, and whatever. And that was always his path. And I I, felt I took more like music theory and, and went to kind of a different. so, I, but I always kind of leaned on him because he knew what the fuck he was doing. Um, so like nowadays I'm like getting a little better at it, my home situation and I remember bringing up like, oh, maybe I should get like drum kit from hell. And I think he's, he said, he were like, please don't do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> please don't. Cause you're just going to write shit that first of all, probably that is, doesn't make any sense and doesn't, is not possible physically to play. But also like, I don't almost don't want to like, to me, like part of it is like the fun of writing songs is that like, I only can bring so much of the percentage of it forward. Even if it's like a verse chorus and a bridge, it's like, you know, I I haven't heard. I have an idea of what the drums might do, but often he'll do something different. And I have an idea of what the vocals might do, but John will totally do something at a left field. Or Vin will come up with something that changes a whole, the rhythm of a whole part altogether. And um, you know, I don't I don't really want to be able to finish the song by myself. You know, that takes the whole fun out of being in a, in a band that's collaborative. Because we're definitely four legs of a tape. You know, you, some bands it's kind of like there's the dude that writes the songs, and everybody else plays the songs. And they kind of roll like that for as long as they can possibly stand each other. But when you, when you, when you have some a, a situation where it's actually very collaborative, I feel like that's what kind of helps us, you know, like the longevity so far and that we still like playing together is that everybody has a little bit of a say, a little bit of a piece of the creative process. So, uh, I think that we lay, rely on technology as much as it feels like it's serving us, but we can kind of tell when it it's like, Oh, this is not this is not fun. Like, this yeah. is, just too easy now. Like, this is not fun. Yeah, I mean, that's me really, like Chroma Paragon. We were like, we're not doing a click track and you know, we were like real bold about that. We were, you know, but some certain things I think that were just like, all right, well, click tracks are, they're not the worst thing in the world, you know, but uh, I'm glad that we did that at the time. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's the convenience of how like recording music is a, was a blessing and a curse, I think for rock and roll. In general, I think that it it can be good or really good or really bad.
1: I think it's largely situational too. You know, yeah. Because like for what you guys are doing, with being that you are all highly collaborative, like you have to be careful because, like you're saying, you don't want to color what anybody else is doing. You know, you don't want to take away their ideas by putting your you know stubbed ideas in in place. Yeah, I get that.
3: Yeah, if I showed up and was like, here's the drum parts, just play it like this you know, that would be weird for us. Yeah. Like that would be kind of like uncomfortable. To, yeah. to do we have a
1: lot way. of, uh, well, I won't say a lot, but we at least have a decent amount of people who listen, who are
3: in bands, but also people
1: who um, are like one man band type scenarios. I do that. Taylor um, is in a band with other folks. Um, we have a guy named Nick who also has sometimes been on and he does the one man band thing. So I feel like those sort of tools work well for People like me and Nick in the one man band type scenario, you know, because like, how you gonna, how you going to do it otherwise, you know? Oh, yeah, that, like, I mean, and that's awesome for man. for a group of collaborative dudes or dudettes who are actually doing the thing. You know, it's you have to be very careful
2: about what you use. You know, it's just the the word you put it as a tool, yeah, which is perfect.
3: Yeah. because I didn't like, mean to make it seem like negative. No, in, it wasn't that, at all that One that, man yeah. capacity because that's if no, like Moon yeah. were to break up tomorrow we'd all probably be doing right. that. You know, like we just, some yep. like, there's something about the the collaboration as part of the process to the point of like, I have no desire to program drums. No, you know, I you know, mean, for know. me
2: personally, like I hate, I hate listening to program drums. I hate when I hear that on like a band's record. Cause I could, I mean, from a producer standpoint, like I know when it's, I know the sounds of get drums. I know the sound of, you know, drum set from hell, easy drummer. Like I know all the presets. I know what it sounds like. And when I hear that, even if it's sampled and even if it's like made to sound better through other sampling tools and without getting into everything, but I hear that and I always hear fills and drum parts that don't really make any sense. Like um, physically, like you have something that's like, you have ghost notes in a weird place where it's like, you'd have to switch hands. I'm like going back and forth in real life right now, but you have to switch hands and you have to have symbols that don't make sense. And you hear like a China, a crash and a snare drum at the same time. So you, you have four arms and like I hear that all the time on people's program stuff, like on a real record. But for the most part, that's just because I know, you know, i record drums for a living and record bands for a living, but for most people, most people that don't understand what it's like to be a real drummer or what it's like to actually have like a full drum set that you can record, then you're not going to hear that stuff, which I totally understand. And I'm not trying to knock people that don't have like a fucking huge recording studio. <laughs> but there's, yeah, I mean, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is you can use those tools and we... Have used those tools in the past, but for me, like I can't, I can't get behind it, like in my music and as a drummer beyond demos. But it's a perfect tool for demos, especially if you're like you know. I know a bunch of bands that I record are spread across the country, and the only way to actually record music is to have demo drums and have you know, neural DSP guitars or guitar rig or you know whatever guitars you want like.
3: Yeah, I mean, we all know that the hardest part about being in a band is getting four or five people to just get into a room together once a week, yeah. and for a long period, long enough period of time with enough work ethic to to like make a dent, you know what I mean? And that's always the thing. So at least with technology in that regard, you can you can you know you can take it a lot further, and 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 you know we're s- somehow holding on to that like ability to do that, but you know yeah. like we over the course of the next. Year, you know five to ten years, who knows where we'll be living? I mean, I also play in another band called called Riot, and then those guys, like one lives in Texas, one lives in Michigan, one lives in Jersey. So it's like if we're doing something, I see them and we get together and rehearse. But other than that, I don't see them, you know, like I don't, very rarely. So like Moontooth still somehow manages to get together, you know every week and and work, you know, and that's something that we is tough after a day job or whatever, but like we look forward to in a way, too, because it's still, Um, you know, it's like still like kind of your chance to kind of work on your craft, and of course, yeah, definitely hold on to that. You know, can I take a piss real quick?
4: (laughs) We're we're actually almost finished up, so we're um yeah, because we've been going for about an hour. So I have one last question for you guys. This one's important. Important. It's a very very important question that I specifically ask every single band that I interview, and Josh is with me on this one. Do beans belong in chili?
3: Yeah. I'm uh, yeah, I mean I'm vegetarian so I'm fucking I I just made a chili. It had three different types of beans, tomato paste, onions, tomatoes. I'm not even vegetarian
2: roast. but yeah, beans belong in chili. Yeah,
3: I like I like it. If you don't is that wrong? That. Is that the wrong answer? We, we lost this one, Josh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry we gotta, man. We got to scrap ben, the whole fuck thing. Fuck you. <laughs> beans belong in chili. I don't even hear this bullshit. <laughs> man. Sorry. So note no to self: fun, Don't. You guys are in Texas. What the fuck do I know about chili? The, I'm from Long
1: Island. Don't eat you know. chili with or send your GGD demos to Ray.
3: Man, <laughs> i not mean, hear the demos,
2: but if there's beans in those drums, <laughs> I'll like them better.
3: But they're the music. They're the musical fruit. Ah, the musical. That's beans. very true, actually. Beans. Program beans. Fruits. Yep. It's only about. Some only music. analog beans in this only analog band. beans
2: if you, only if you record a real drum set and you fart on the fucking snare drum that's
1: actually you, you're giving me an idea i saw a thing with sylvia massey not that long ago where she plugged some some guitar cables through some sort of fruit <laughs> i want to say it was like with um with buzz from back to the future no, uh, King Buzzo from, um, Melvin's Melvin's. Melvin's. I'm just kidding. And, um, uh, yeah. like they were just trying to get some gnarly tones and they were literally plugged through. <laughs> I can't remember if it was like a banana or something absolutely
3: obscenely ridiculous, but now I want to try. If anybody could get a gnarly tone out of a banana, I think it would be Buzz. That's buzzed. fucking Buzz. Like yeah. he would definitely get it. We would plug that aluminum guitar into a fucking fruit. I was the fifth. So I would listen to it. <laughs> I just got, I'm, I'm about to buy tickets. Fucking ministry, Melbourne's and COC. Oh, That's a cool tour. So good. They're playing Paramount. I'm definitely going to that. Shit. I would love to see that show.
4: I have to ask Nick, uh, what was yeah. it like being around the God that is Tosin Abasi?
3: That was cool, man. He, you know, and we, we got to do the last like 10 days of that tour, like the last leg. Um, and so we were trying not to be punishy, you know, but like he was, he was always very nice. Like he would come up to me and, uh, we talk guitars and stuff a little bit. Um, But he was always very busy. So I was like, not, we didn't get to like hang real hard, you know, he was always kind of doing his thing. But the last day, this is the funniest story to me about that. It was like the last show, the whole tour. And we were, you know, um, I got, I kind of like ended up just in the green room with him. And it was just the two of us. And I was like, I was like, Hey man, like, I just wanted to ask you like that, the thumb thing, like watching you play, like, did you, did you kind of pick some of that up from classical guitar? And he was like, Nah, man, I just was like into Nirvana when I was like 13. I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it's like, what the, fuck, get the fuck out of here. What the fuck are you talking about, Nirvana? But I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, he was, he was very nice. And I've run into him a couple of times since. And he's always, he's always been very cool to me. Yeah, I got, um,
4: I got to see animals on the Joy of Motion tour, the White Album. Was that the Joy of Motion? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was one of the coolest experiences because it was plenty intervals and animals as leaders all in the same bill. And it was just, it was such a cool experience. Um, and yeah, Tosin just seemed like a super cool dude. Um, he was very like chatty and just like talking or like talking around cool, telling funny stories. Um, and actually I ran into Mark from periphery at that show uh, of all people. He was just in the crowd and I was wearing a periphery jacket. Cause it was an outdoor show in December. Um, and he like, Tapped me on the shoulder to get by and then was like, Hey, man, I like your jacket. And I like turned my head, and my jaw just dropped.
3: <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, I guess all those guys are real close. You know, they all seem pretty, pretty close friends. Yeah. And, and, uh, Intervals guy, too, Aaron, he was at one of the shows that we played. And,
4: and Mark lives here in Austin now. Mark and Misha. Oh, really? Yeah. Misha, and yeah. Misha both. Too. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I still yearn for the day where I run into one of them.
1: I
3: bought uh, candles still- from his yeah, wife. I think uh, Javier actually got us on that tour because um, John Berklin, who plays drums for uh, Bad Wolves, he was in Devil Driver for a long time. Um, he's become a fan, and then he was just friends with Javier and was like, you should put this band on the tour. And so so he did. So, <laughs> that's so sad. All the shit of like all the, I guess it's like a weird combination of hard work and good luck. That's always sort of the thing. But if you're not out there like working hard and meeting people, then those types of things don't happen. But it always seems like the, like those weird, crazy opportunities just come from this weird kind of little, little kind of just could have went one way or the other and just clicked for a second, you know? Um, but yeah, they were, they were very cool to us. They were nice guys.
1: I'm glad that makes me really happy that you recognize that. And we'll call that out with your mouth out loud because there's a lot of people <laughs> who won't do that. You know, they'll be like, Oh, you, what, you got to hustle.
3: It's all about hustle, 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 hustle. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah.
2: You, you gotta have, you know, you have a lot of fucking good luck.
3: The hustle has to be yeah. there, but there's definitely a little bit of like, it's almost like more it's such a social thing yeah. that, like, you know, if it's, as long as you're like willing to sort of, t- you know, meet people and talk to people at your shows and and make friends and and then not in like a not in a fake way, right. but in like a you have to be earnest, you know, like a genuine way. Like you just people. sort of like meet. Yeah, exactly, and and um, that seems to be more often than not how things actually transpire, and then that that kind of that has a bit of a a snowball effect, you know, cause then it's like, if they let you on that tour and then people take you more serious and whatever, you get other opportunities from it. But um, yeah, it's a lot of it. It's just, they can trace it. A lot of the weird opportunities they can trace back to like one person, you know what I mean? It's like, and that's, and then you go a long time, nothing like that happens, you know? <laughs> but so, uh, but yeah, it's like, I don't think anybody's going to give you that leg up if you're not hustling, but it's true though. Like there is a little bit of like, Luck and faith that goes into it too. You know, you just kind of have to, like, I don't know. I feel like a dude being in a band is this thing. Like, you're just sort of always up and down. It's all about the um, sine wave. It's like you're going up and then you're down this for a while. You know, you just have to be real patient and, and not freak out.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's <laughs> that's most of don't life. Freak out. It's most of yeah. life and being in a band. And so I got this phase tattoo. Nice. Which is a phase symbol. With the circle with a cross on it, and then the sun and the moon for the phases of the moon, phases of the sun. But life in general, I feel like just goes up and down. Doesn't matter how hard you try. And there's a lot to do with luck, you know. I've seen one of my favorite YouTubers. This guy uh, runs a YouTube channel called Veritasium. Oh yeah, and he talks about awesome. like uh, you know him. Yeah, yeah. is great. And he just talks about he has one video talking about like how he got. His place, which I relate a lot to myself, which was, it's a lot to do with, you know, putting yourself in the right position, but also sometimes you just get lucky. And that's, you know, I feel like we're hustling our fucking asses off
3: Nick more than anybody else. <laughs> and, uh. I feel like that's it, not really even just, true. We're all dying in the back of the van sometimes, <laughs> pissing in a bottle. Like it's not well, it's yeah. Just, <laughs> I've definitely, and then all of a sudden, you get a good tour after like 15 shitty ones, you know, and then that's kind of just how it goes. Yep. I mean, yeah, we, we've all been sitting in the back of the fucking car, basically
2: killing ourselves, sleeping two hours a night. And, you know, especially the first couple tours we did was, you know, there were small tours that we booked ourselves, and it was you know, load in at uh, eight o'clock at night. Then you play at nine thirty, and there's no like weird, you know, like, I don't know, corporate shit from the venue. You don't, you don't have to do anything like give the venue money for, you know, merch or anything like that. But then we started to get into the bigger tourists, especially with the animals that Nick was talking about. Like that's when it started to get like harder and better pretty much the whole history of this band and pretty much everybody, else, everybody else's band is the harder it gets, the better it gets. So you just have these crazy highs and crazy lows. And it starts with very nice high, not so bad. And then it just goes up and down on a sine wave for the rest of your career. You'll have crazy highs, crazy lows. And that's basically what we've experienced over the past 10, 12 years this point It's been a long road but we got some long crazy years. yeah we got some crazy highs coming up which we will tell you about eventually and then i'm sure there's gonna be fucking we can some- do this when we can talk about stuff it'll be very soon <laughs> there's gonna be something's gonna break down someone is gonna fucking i don't know they're gonna lose don't their penis <laughs> i'm not gonna have a dick for the rest of my tour and then I'm gonna regrow a penis the next time we're going back on tour. Right, the same. And man. then uh, it'll be all be fun. Go ups and downs, exactly. Well, cool guys, everybody's, everybody's got ups
1: and downs.
4: <laughs> well, thank you guys so much. We will absolutely have you guys on again for the Moon Tooth Redux. I think it should be a regular
1: program. a regular segment.
4: Just yeah, know,
3: hanging yeah. out. With the Metal
4: teeth. podcast featuring the teeth. <laughs>
3: Thank you, Jared and Josh. Appreciate of it. I course. hope that we said anything useful in this entire. new <laughs> you, boys. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, of course. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Let us know when you got the Weird Al hookup, <laughs> and then we'll come out and play with Weird Al. If
4: I could get Weird Al Yankovic on this show, I would probably cry. You, you should. You should be crying. If that Weird Al's on the
3: show, it's just you, you just should Just No just questions. The whole just you crying and him, him just trying to calm me down. i would would listen to that that would be and if you don't invite
4: me i will hate you forever i have your email ray i will send you an email (laughs) if i even
2: if i'm cc'd on the zoom i don't know whatever you want to do
4: i will find a way to get you involved (laughs) with the weird al yankovic conversation i'm just fucking with you well cool guys thank you so much of course. Thank you guys. Yeah, Thank and you. if you're ever fun. if you're ever in Austin, we've got a really cool venue for you. Uh, come and take it live. It's oh,
2: one of it. it's one of our live. sponsors. They yeah, we've been there. It's a great venue. So it is a really good venue.
3: And I got a crap. I got assaulted by an old drunk guy there. He came right up to my side of the stage <laughs> and put his middle finger right in my face, and we almost like got in a fight. And it was great. Josh, <laughs> why did you do that? I mean, it's Texas. What did you expect? It wasn't Josh. It was I would recognize Josh. Are you sure it, was it wasn't him. Josh? It, it was not Josh. Ah. No, the guy was like. He had a, didn't he, he have a swastika grizzled. tattoos on his head? Oof. No, that was a different guy. <laughs> uh, different guy. That guy right. exists too, but no, that wasn't like the that. Austin guy. Actually, Machine came to see, last story real quick. Machine came to see us, they like, come and take it live. And not a great show. It was like our headliner. He only played in Austin a couple of times. And uh, the <laughs> this guy in this middle of this bad show just came right up to me and was just like, Fuck you. like he came out of nowhere at a bad show and just was like he had it out for me for some reason and like we almost had to stop the song and like fight this guy vinnie who's this our bass player is the sweetest person in the world like i've never seen him angrier in my life he was ready to murder this guy it was great but it was like, it was like what machine talked to us about was like, you guys are fucking great like dangerous like <laughs> no, we're just tired and that guy just picked the wrong day to like mess with us. But yeah, we actually really like come and take it live. We did I, Yeah, uh, I love that venue. It's that, great. We played there a few times. We played there a fit for an Autopsy and uh um we did Texas Revolution Fest, which I don't think was there, but it was the same guys that yeah, run that venue. Right. They're yeah, they're yeah, cool, man. I, I like those guys. Yeah, the venue was fucking great. Good green. Yeah, rooms. maybe it probably looks like spring next year we'll come we'll come hang with you guys. Oh, man, that'd be so cool.
4: Definitely looking forward to it. Well, thanks again, guys.
3: Thank you, guys. Jared. Yeah, of course. Josh, nice to meet you, man. Thank you.